For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade and I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. I'll start with you. Good morning, Randy. How are you doing today? It's been a rip-roaring good morning. <laughs> I am glad to hear that. Really, pretty much every morning is a rip-roaring good morning for you, isn't it, Randy? You've got the most positive yep. attitude. You were singing good morning even when we started the show today. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. You are my inspiration. Okay, Jake, let's turn to you. How's your Saturday treating you? What, I'm not your inspiration, Jake? Nah, you're, ins- you're my inspiration, <laughs> Jake. Come on. I love I'm, you. I'm not quite as much of a morning person as Randy is. but Me neither. I am having a, I am having a good morning, and uh, I'm just glad to be with our audience today. Yeah, well, me too. I'm always glad to be here, and of course, no matter how my Saturday morning goes. And usually, it's a pretty good morning, but by the time I get here with uh, you and Randy, it gets even better. And of course, the fine people here, the last bastion of sanity, Springfield, Missouri. We're glad you could join us here for Show Me the Money. We're on the radio every Saturday at this time to not only get you retired, but keep you retired. A lot of things to talk about on today's show, Randy and Jake. I'm going to start with something that's rather interesting. In retirement, many crucial questions start with the word when. Can you explain that? Yeah, Jeff. So when I got up this morning, (laughs) we're back to that. I came in and I came in here and when we got together to do this radio show, you know, all those things, when we talk about retirement, you know, the the big questions we get is, you know, okay, so Randy, when can I retire? Right. Is the question we get a lot. When do I take social security? When do I start to reduce my portfolio risk? as I get closer to retirement age, or do I? And when do I move my money from my 401k to an IRA are questions we get all the time. And each of those has some different answers. So I I think, unfortunately, too many people are approaching retirement or are already there, and they don't adjust how they think about investing to account for timing's crucial role. And as you said, one of the biggest questions, and I think the first that we may get, is going to be, when can I retire? People generally have an idea of when they can. They think they have an assets, but they're coming to you for a definitive answer. Can you give them a definitive answer as to when they retire or when they should retire? Well, Jeff, I think for each person, of course, obviously that's a different answer as they come in the door. And when we look at that, uh, sometimes the conversation is, okay, will I ever be able to retire? When is that day? Right. And then the other ones say, okay, uh, you know, I've got two more years and that's when I think I want to retire is in two more. And then we have those that come in and they're five or 10 years down the road. And what we're looking to do there is when do I start to put the finishing touches on my retirement plan? So I think by addressing maybe the first one is, you know, when will I ever be able to retire is one we get a lot of times because I think in people's minds, you know, they've worked hard. They've worked 30, 40, 50 years. Sometimes couples have worked 35 years apiece, you know, when they come in here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've raised a family. They've paid off a house. You know, they've worked hard. 
And all of a sudden they're saying, okay, you know, could I actually retire? And they don't know quite how to take that 401k or that IRA or the combination of that, their savings and all the stuff they'd worked for. They don't know quite how that equates and works out to a cash flow. And so that's one of the big jobs that we have to do here is to help people, number one, understand how much money they actually need in retirement. And then number two, do they have the assets to derive that income from and how will we derive that and make sure they never run out of money? Randy, when people do ask that question, when can I retire? Of course, that's more a financial decision than anything else. They're expecting maybe some bad news. They're saying, well, I can retire in maybe three years, four years, five years. Are you ever the bearer of good news and tell them, well, you could retire today if you wanted to? I think, Jeff, for every person that we have to say you're not ready to, we get to say you are ready to probably 10. Okay. Agreed. Maybe, maybe even more than that, but I, I feel comfortable saying 10. I'd say there's many, many, many times, and part of this is our audience here, right? We have such a great conservative group of people that when they come in, they're tentative. They're, they, you know, they've been saving their whole lives, and they're like, I don't know if I have enough to retire. And most of the time, they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just have to have a plan put in place that really takes the worst case scenarios out of the picture, you know, and talk about how much the budget is and how much the income that we can get safely off of, uh, you know, an asset or group of assets. And once we've had those conversations, we talk about, you know, what's important to them, mm-hmm. all those types of things, then we can reasonably say, you know, uh, again, I, I can think of one we met with just last week that came in and said, you know, uh, I'd like to retire, you know, at 65, I'm 62, you know, but I'd really like to retire as soon as I can, you mm-hmm. know, but I just don't, I don't know if I'll be able to retire at 65 even. And so after we got done with the stuff, we said, well, I think in our first meeting, what we do is discovery, right? We've talked about that on the show where we, we talk about who they are and what's important to them and what they have. And after we got done with that, toward the end of our first meeting here, we said, you know, I think you better get ready to retire. I think I think it's time to get your hopes up. Right. Because yeah. after doing the math, they had more than enough. And I think, you know, that happens a fair amount. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's probably one or two of those a week where we have, you know, somebody come in and say, I'm not sure. And we look at them and say, you know, well go home and start thinking about what you're going to be doing with all this time you're going to have. Yeah, (laughs) We actually had a couple here not too long ago that I I told him, I said, honestly, you can't afford to keep working. I said, (laughs) you'll make more money when you stop working than you are now. So let's go ahead and hang this thing up, right? (laughs) Right. Well, I see these news headlines once in a while. I'll see them about every month, maybe six weeks or so, that how much does it take to retire? And it says something like, is a million dollars going to be enough? Or I see them sometimes that say you need $1 million to retire or, you know, you need a million and a half or it changes as time goes by. Is there really any set figure? I mean, how do you know when you do have enough money to retire? Is it about the amount of money that you have accumulated or is it more about how to turn that accumulated money into cash flow? I think it's three things, but to answer that question, like my grandma used to say, Randy, everybody's got a nose and they're all different, right? <laughs> and so what I what that amounts to is everybody has a retirement and it's different for everybody and the amount of income that they need, that they want, the amount of money they've saved, where that's going to come from, whether that be if they're one of the lucky ones that have a pension still, or if it's social security and maybe savings or 401k, that really, you know, it's what determines that. So for a lot of folks, it's like, okay, we've got this money saved and, you know, how much money can we spend? 
But, you know, most times we don't really get that question. The question comes up when we ask them about a budget, Mm -hmm. and they really don't know what their budget is because they haven't had to have one for so long because they've raised their family, they've moved out, you know, and or hopefully they've moved out, and uh, <laughs> and they're they're now just on their own, you know, they're empty yeah. nesters, their house is paid off. We hope, and they haven't needed a budget for a while. But I think moreover, what it what it is is we sit there and sometimes we ask people, you know, what's your budget, and they go, well, I really don't know. So. One of the key indicators for us is we're going to ask them, hey, what's your bring home pay? And the reason we like to ask that question is we know then how much money is hitting the bank account each month. And the other thing that we know then is we can say, hey, do you have a retirement nest egg, a savings account outside of your 401k and maybe your retirement plans? And I'll tell you what, we can tell a lot about people and their budget by asking those two questions. Because if they got a bunch of money stacked up in a savings account, we know they're not out spending their budget, right? right. The money that comes in. Right. If not, then we got we got to say, okay, so what's going to change from your salary? What's your social security going to look like? How much income can we draw off your savings? Do you get a pension? Mm-hmm. So as you can see, it's kind of a, a little bit of a complex equation to see where we're going to land. Well, when you're going to work every day, I mean, you probably have a certain amount of uh, money that's set aside for work clothing. You don't go to work in sweatpants and T-shirts. At least uh, I was never able to do that. You're also spending money on gasoline. You've got lunches out there. A lot of extraneous expenses that you have when you go to uh, work every day. But when you retire, hopefully you will not have those things. So I would think that maybe you need less money to live on the same lifestyle when you retire. But that's really most of the time. Is that really true or not? Or should you count on needing the same amount of money in retirement as you did when you were working? You know, I will tell you, Jeff, I have not once yet had people say to me, you know, I want to live on less when I hang it up. (laughs) (laughs) I just haven't had that happen yet. In fact, I'm thinking, you know, that for most people, it's going to be 90 to 100% of what you're used to now. Now, there's a couple things to think about. That doesn't mean you have to make exactly the same amount of money that you're making now. So let's Mm -hmm. think about that just for a second and why I would say that. So number one, when you're working and you're getting a wage, you're paying Medicare and Medicaid. So you got 7.65 or whatever that number, it's roughly Mm 7.65% that you're paying, your employer's paying the other side of that. Plus, let's say you're funding your 401k to 10 or 15%. All of a sudden, that's 22% that you're not funding anymore. And you're probably, or you might be in a lower tax bracket because depending on the size of your social security check, you're only going to pay, the maximum you can pay is on 85% of that number. So there's actually some tax cuts, if you will, that you get when you move into retirement. So not always does it mean you need exactly the same amount of money. What you need is maybe the exact amount of spendable money that you've had before. Well, when you're working, hopefully you get a raise every year, a couple of years, something like that. It's usually not equivalent to inflation. When you're building these income plans for people in retirement, do you build in those raises in addition to inflation? I mean, how do you step up how much money you're going to need? Right. We always build in some inflation. Well, and a guy asked me, he says, well, you know, can you build in 8% per year? Mm. No. <laughs> I mean, people, there's just no way to build in 8% compound inflation and make money last. And if anybody tells you they can, you should probably run from that building. Uh, Well, unless you got $10 million and you need to pull $20,000 a year, then you're going to be able to do it. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case. For the most part, 8% inflation is, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, the Fed and everybody are so desperate to get it down is because it's very destructive power, especially at higher single digits or double digits. And also, you know, you talked about taxes just a minute ago. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act may expire here in 2025, or it's set to sunset in 2025. I don't know if another political party is going to get in there and maybe extend that or not. But 
How do you account for taxes in your retirement plan, the possibility that they may be jumping up considerably in the future? Yeah, you know, here's what I would say. I mean, if you look back at it historically, middle America, and when I say middle America, that's a hard one to define. So the average retired person here in southwest Missouri is probably going to pay less in taxes when they retire. And I'd say probably they're going to pay less in taxes Mm -hmm. uh, than when they were working. We know that's going to happen. When the sunset comes in on Trump's tax policy, I don't know what it's going to look like. Nobody can actually give any solid guidance on that. But I will say historically, the average person, you know, is still going to pay in the 12 to 15 percent range in taxes in retirement is where they've been for the federal government. State of Missouri has cut. We used to have a 5.9% maximum state tax here. Now it's been cut to five. Right. You know, so I just, I just don't think for most people, I mean, when I say most people, if you're at a hundred, $110,000 a year right now in gross income, we can get you and keep you in the 12% tax bracket. If you're married or you have a, a husband or a wife, if you're a single, you know, we have to take quite a bit less to stay in that bracket. But if you're married, you can have that much income with your Social Security and maybe a pension and and maybe for some 401k or IRA withdrawals and still stay in that 12% bracket. I really don't see that changing that much. I do see that probably what they're going to do looking forward, if you're one of those ones that's been really successful, really fortunate and blessed, and you have a couple of hundred thousand or $250,000 in retirement, you're going to pay the piper. You may even continue to pay Social Security looking forward, pay into that to help fund it. Well, we all know that taxes and health care expenses, two of the biggest expenses that you'll face in retirement. So account for taxes and account for health care expenses. And later on in the program, we'll be talking about health care expenses and particularly long-term care. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd uh, here on Show Me the Money. We're on the radio for you every Saturday morning. And we've been talking about the big question, when can I retire? And the answer is... It depends. Well, if you want to find out when you can retire, how you're going to retire, you want to get retired and stay retired, get in and sit down, talk with Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group and have that conversation. There are a few uh, spots left on the calendar right now for your consultation. No cost, no obligation. And of course, there is no judgment whatsoever for this consultation. To get yours, call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. You can also request your individual consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That is floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. If you want to retire anytime soon, there are three factors that will affect your finances. The stock market, the economy, and tomorrow's tax bill. No one knows what the future may bring, but we do know that now is the time to have a plan and people you can trust to help guide you. At Floyd Financial Group, we focus on those nearing or already in retirement for times just like these. We've seen the bumpy times before, and we'll see them again. And we remain cautious and prudent for today, but optimistic about tomorrow. Ready for a heaping helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And, Jeff, we've been talking about the word when and how that relates to retirement and decisions, right? That's right, Randy. And I think we decided that when you can retire is it depends. But let's explore this a little bit further. We didn't talk about when to do a number of things. The first one is going to be Social Security. When do you take Social Security? How do you figure that out? 
as soon as possible. No, okay. <laughs> so, and in many cases, too far from the truth. And well. in many cases, that is the right answer. It just depends on the person, though. Well, yeah. So you know, one of the big questions is: Will I continue to work during retirement? Or am I going to be able to go cold turkey and just go and be done? Mm -hmm. And there would be a lot of people that would say, you know, when I retire, I ain't ever going to look back. I'm I'm gone. And that's great if that's you. However, there's people that really just cannot stop and just, you know, not do anything. So... They are really happy to do mm-hmm. consulting work. I've had a, we've had a lot of clients that once they retired, their company retained them at least you know on a part-time basis as a consultant and actually paid them some pretty decent wages and things. Now you got to yeah. be careful because you know if you're not full retirement age, which for most people today is somewhere between 66 and six months and 67, you know you you got to watch how much income you have. Right now it's about $21,000 a year that you can earn right. and not have to pay any social security back if you're not full retirement age now in the year that you're turning full retirement age you can make a little over fifty thousand dollars a year and not have to give uncle sam anything back once in a while too i will tell you that these people have the opportunity to work for companies part-time and and divide it up during the year and work part of the year not part of the year so there's just many ways to go about engineering a way for you not to just go cold turkey and never go back. Now, if you're one of those, if that's what you want to do, great. Mm-hmm. So two things to remember, you can only make, for most of us, figure $20,000, $21,000 a year right now. It changes every year just a little bit. Right. It's what you can make in that year and not have to pay some of the Social Security back. I also think, too, Randy, to that point, you know, I think that's probably the best rule of thumb is if you're retiring and you're actually going to retire, there's probably not a reason to not file for Social Security. Mm-hmm. If you're going to continue to work, whether it's 62, 67, you know, up to 70, obviously at 70, there's definitely no reason to to keep it you sure. know, deferring. But if you're working, there's a lot of reasons potentially, including the reasons Randy just discussed, to continue to not file Social Security. So usually that's a good rule of thumb. There are some, it's a little bit of an oversimplification. There are some mm-hmm. reasons not to and that kind of thing. And those are things we can talk about when you come in for your consultation, but you know, the general rule of thumb is if you're going to retire and be retired, you know, it probably makes sense to turn it on because I'd rather use Social Security's, the government's money, yeah. than my personal savings and keep that personal savings liquid and where I want it to be versus spending my savings and only having Social mm-hmm. Security. We, we like the options <clears throat> of having that money uh, out there, that pile of money. And I like to think of Social Security as my money. I mean, I paid into it. Of course, my employer paid into that as well, too. So you're just getting that back. And uh, thank goodness we have computers here in the studio, Randy and Jake. I looked it up here while you were talking. The amount of money you can make before you turn full retirement age in 2023, you were just about right there, Randy, $21,240. If you'll reach full retirement age in 2023, the limit on your earnings for the months before full retirement is $56,520. So if you retire in 2023, your birthday's in 2023, or your full retirement age is in 2023, you can make north of $50,000. Now, your full retirement age right now is between 66 and 67. That is the time that you can make as much as you want without having to give any of it back. If you make more than these figures I've just talked about, you have to give back. I think it's a dollar, Randy and Jake, for every $2 that you make over that, or is it every $3? 
Yeah, so it's a dollar for every two that you exceed that. Okay, so a dollar for every two. Once you reach the age of 70, as uh, Jake alluded to there, you can make as much as you want, but beyond that, you will not get a raise in Social Security after the age of 70. And between full retirement age and the age of 70, you will get about an 8% increase the longer that you wait. Yeah, one thing to point out here too, Jeff, is this. We have some people that are, you know, they come in here. And I remember when my grandma was 66. Yeah. My grandma was bent over in pain. You know, we have people coming here today that are 70 that look really great and do really great, right? Mm -hmm. And people that are 67 or 66 that are full retirement age that are still working full time and they've turned on their social security. And what they're doing is putting the finishing touches on finishing off, maybe remodeling a house, maybe putting their social security, which may be as much as a couple thousand dollars a month into a savings plan to build them a, a finished off nest egg, you know, to have some mad money to go spend in retirement. There's a lot of things you can do if you get to full retirement age or within that year of full retirement age where you can really turn on Social Security, work a little bit, and sock away a lot of money. And that may be what people need to sometimes give them that final bit of security that they need uh, to know that they're going to be okay in retirement. And I've had people ask me, when does Social Security end? When do I stop getting it? Well, you get it on the day that you take your last breath on this mortal earth. <laughs> After that, you know, your afterlife, you're probably not going to need any money. It's not going to do you too much good out there. Yeah. But anyway, that's sort of a, a recap on Social Security. And another thing to consider when you're determining when you can retire is going to be risk, the amount of risk that you can take. Yeah, for sure. So we're looking at what's the risk in the economy and in the market, number one. And then number two, as you get closer to retirement, if we've, if we're in a good time now, obviously right now we've been through some rocky times the last three years, right? So it's hard to believe as I look back over my shoulder that February of 2020 was, you know, the height of the market prior to the pandemic. And Mm -hmm. after the pandemic on February 20th, we fell about 30%, then we bounced back, and we hit new highs after that. But we really had some rocky ground. All of 22 was kind of a problem for everyone. The only thing that made any money in 2022 was oil and gas. So to our point here, talking about uh, reduction of risk, mm-hmm. you know, if we're going to set up our portfolio, let's say we got a million dollars out there, and we're going to pull $50,000 a year off that in retirement, how returns come in, the sequence of how the market grows or doesn't grow is crucial to your outcome. So we need to have a plan that addresses good markets and bad markets and everything in between. So it is a good idea to know what your portfolio risk is, especially within the last five years, what we call the retirement red zone. Mm-hmm. That's the time when you're getting ready to retire. And then the first five years in, and you know, we've talked about Mr. Brown and Mr. Green on here getting the same return, 6%, right. drawing $50,000 a year off of a million dollar portfolio and one guy at the end of about 15 years is dead broke and the other guy has three million dollars and it's all in the sequence of returns and how things come into play and risk mitigation i think for the bulk of people that we see randy and i'm sure you'll agree with this you know most of the people that we sit down with have done a good job saving have done a good job you know paying off debt things like that what they really have to do in retirement is not make a big mistake they don't need to make 10% a year. 
Right. They don't need to hit home runs. What they need to do is not have an oops moment like mm-hmm. a 2008 or something like that and lose half the money. As long as they don't do that, they're in good shape. And I think that getting people to understand that they don't have to make these gigantic returns. What they have to do is protect against these downsides. And I'm not saying we need to have 100% of the money safe with a floor under it where we can never lose money but also not make money. But I do think you need to have risk mitigation in place in retirement so that you can sleep at night and know that you know that you're not going to have to go back and do it again. We're talking with Randy Jacob Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about when you can retire. The next one is going to be, you know, when you're working, many times you have a 401k, but then when you're not working or you retire, you're going to convert that into an IRA. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. You know, when you've got a 401k, a 403b, a 457 plan, or whatever you have at work, depending on where you do work, one of the things that always comes up is we look inside these plans and there's generally very limited investment options. And that's just across that whole cross section of qualified retirement plans. So what we want to start to look at when we get to the retirement red zone or when we hit 59 and a half in many cases, we want to look at what are our options outside of our 401k? Where can we go and get the world of investment options, not only the upside, but the downside protection as well? So today we see in most of the 401ks, we're seeing these target dated funds, the 2020 Mm -hmm. retirement fund, the 2025, the 2030, the 2035, the 2040. And yes, it is true that you can still buy a 2020 retirement fund, even though that's in the rearview mirror. I thought that was yeah. interesting. But anyway, <laughs> what are we going to do? Are we reverting backwards? Anyway, yeah. we're going negative age, right? Right. So anyway, we just think it's important for people to really look inside those and see what's going on. The idea of the target-dated funds would be that you're more aggressive in your younger years, and as you move closer to your retirement date, that's supposed to mitigate and reduce risk and damage. Well, the problem with that, Jeff, is simply this, though. The rules by which most of those were set up, that time has passed. Over the last 40 years, we saw interest rates on a 10-year Treasury bill go from 15.4-15.5% to 0.53, now back to 35 3.6, whatever it is. It might be a little lower than that now. And everything in between. So the whole premise that a lot of that stuff was built on is not actually sound in holding water. In fact, we see this every time we pull those plans up and we look at those target-dated funds, they generally are underperforming and we can generally perform as well with a much safer vehicle than what they're in currently in those target-dated funds. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group right here in Springfield, and we're talking about when you can retire. And I think, frankly, in retirement, when is really everything. That's because so many financial decisions related to retirement are much more reliant on timing than on the long-term performance of any investments. If you have questions about when you can retire, you want to sit down with Randy and Jake and break it down and see if you can get that good news. Well, you could retire today if you wanted to. Call 417 7233 for your no cost, no obligation, no judgment retirement roadmap or your financial review. 417-889-7233. There are still spots on the calendar right now. Why don't you go ahead and grab one for yourself? Again, it doesn't cost you a dime. You can also request that online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. We would love to hear from you. Show me the money with Randy and Jake Floyd. We'll be right back after this right here on 104.1. FMKSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.
Do you currently have money invested in mutual funds? Are you aware of the potential hidden fees you could be paying? This is Randy Floyd here, founder of the Floyd Financial Group, where we know that after a lifetime of hard work, it's important to make sure that your nest egg is protected from hidden fees. Call Floyd Financial Group today for a complimentary consultation and fee analysis to uncover what hidden fees you may be paying. The number is 877-889-PLAN. That's 877-889-7526. Or visit us online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your host, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're just going to continue, I think, Jeff, in the vein of portfolio diversification. But we want to talk about bonds because I was reading this article just a few minutes ago. It says, good bond news for diversified portfolios. Yeah, and this is the segment that just keeps on giving, gentlemen. I thought we'd talk maybe a segment or two about this, but there is so much to unpack when it comes to retirement and when it comes to a diversified portfolio. And as you said, bonds can be a very important part of that. These are not your father's bonds, Randy and Jake. What determines a bond's yield? Yeah. You know, going back to our when theory, Yeah, when was a good time to buy bonds? <laughs> Not looking back over our shoulder for the last few years, yeah. but right now it's an okay time. Yeah. That was one of those things <laughs> so, where yesterday was not the best time, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could make you could make 10% on bonds this year. Yeah. Of course, you lost 22 last year. So, well, you know, it's uh, you're still not to even, but, uh, you know, everything with the benefit of hindsight yeah. is very easy to make those decisions, yeah. but also looking forward you know, people have very short memories of, you know, you see these stocks that are down 90% be like, this stock's up 100%. Well, you know, that means it's still down 75, 80. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. It's, it's not, uh, you have to understand how math works in order to really understand what's going on yeah, with some of these sure. things. Yeah. When for something sure. is down 90% and then it's up 100%, how long does it take or what's the mathematics before it gets back to even? You need nine hundred percent. Nine hundred percent. Okay. Well, you know, we've seen a lot of that. Like Jake said, you know, we've seen yeah. stocks like Zoom that was five hundred dollars a share, and I think it's now seventy bucks a share, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. This is about where it lays right now, and we you know we've seen it across the board. But I guess back to bonds because we're supposed yeah. to be talking about bonds right here now. Right. So what people have to understand is, and this is a little difficult to explain in the air. So if they want to come in and talk to us about it, we'll be happy to sit with them and explain it. But the relationship between the price of a bond and its yield is kind of like a teeter-totter. Imagine the fulcrum in the middle of a Mm teeter-totter. Let's say, Jeff, I go out and I buy a bond for $1,000 and it yields 2%. -hmm. So what does that really mean? That means on that $1,000, they're going to pay me $20 a year in interest, right? If it's $1,000 at 2%, they're going to pay me $20 a year in yield. All right. Now let's say that interest rates or bond rates, like the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates, right? Right. Over the last little bit, these raised them basically from zero to 4.75 in the last 12 months. But now all of a sudden, we can go out and we can buy a short-term bond that pays 4%. Yeah. And let's say that all of a sudden, I need more than my $20 a year in the bond that I bought. Mm-hmm. So I need to cash in my bond to get the cash. Now, I'm looking for somebody to come along and buy my bond that pays 2%. <laughs> and they can go down the road and buy one that pays four. Right. Why would they buy my bond? They won't unless I discount it, which yeah. does what? Pushes the yield up. Right. So when somebody says bond yields are exciting, if you bought bonds last year and five years ago, you're underwater. If now, on the other hand, I have a 2% bond 
And this happened. Rates go below. They go to one or maybe a half percent, which happened in late August of 2020. We had 10-year treasuries at 0.53. So if I have one that pays two, and all anybody can do right now is go down the road and buy one that pays 0.53, now my bond is worth more than I paid for it, even though I collected my 2% interest. I can get more than I paid. And I think that when you're seeing these headlines right now, Randy, about, you know, that bonds look good looking forward, what they're really saying is we're about to have a recession and we're going to take interest rates back to zero and print money to oblivion. Oh, And so that doesn't have the same ring to it, but that is what they're saying. And I think they're not necessarily wrong, right? So there's going to be a short period as we enter recession here where bonds will be good. But then we'll be back to the point where bonds yield zero mm-hmm. and you basically are taking all risk for no reward. And I think that, you know, it's important to have an advisor that's paying attention to this stuff, not just buying a mutual fund, the same mutual fund that they've been buying for the last 30 years and thinking it's going to be fine. Right. I think the other thing to point out here, we're talking about, you know, bond yields and diversified portfolios. So if we look back over our shoulder, Jeff, the retirees diversified portfolio for the longest time was 60% stock or equities, 40% bonds. But again, we have to look back over our shoulder to see why that worked so well. So if we go back to 1981, I know I'm like a broken record on this, but we had 15% yields on 10-year treasuries. Mm -hmm. And then they started to go down and they basically went down for 40 years. Now that's two generations. So most people think, this is just how bonds work, right? So, because anything that happens for two generations is gospel, right? right well. So all of a sudden that came to an end. So, But what happened was if we had 60% stock, 40% bonds, we were collecting 15% interest on bonds now in 1981. So as bond yields went down, I could sell the bond that I had that I bought yesterday for more than I paid for it. And you know, if stocks started to go down a little bit, I still had my stabilizing factor of the bonds in my portfolio, right? Well, that ship has sailed because now we're on the other side of that. We have rising rates. This is what's caused problems with some of these banks. It's also what's caused problems with many pension plans across the country. I know, Jeff, you and I talked about Boeing up in uh, Seattle Seattle and stuff here a few months ago. We also had right here locally, we had 3M and some other companies that had pension plans. Some of these rural electric cooperatives, Mm -hmm. those people had to bail out early and retire early because they were going to lose 25% maybe of, of their pension funds if they didn't walk with it and have to basically work the next few years to try to build those back up. And who knows how long that would take. Right. So again, diversified portfolios are not, uh, okay, let's diversify. Okay, we're done. Thank you very much. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. We, we have a lot more movement in the system than that. And we have to have somebody like Jake said at the helm to help manage it. Well, in case in point, like last week, we saw that, you know, there's these things called sector funds yeah. and sector investing, like where you, you have, you know, kind of like the grocery store, you have the meat department and the bread department and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the soft drinks and you know, the pharmacy, right? right? Well, in investing, you have, you know, energy and healthcare and financials and consumer staples and utilities, right? So you can invest by department or by sector. Right. Well, last week, and a lot of people, I promise you listening to this, and a lot of advisors don't know this, that those sector funds changed a lot of the positions inside each sector. So like Target, for example, went from consumer discretionary to consumer staples. Mm-hmm. 
if you're not paying attention, you now own Target in what would be considered a safe investment, you know, and, and some of these, you know, Visa, which was a tech company technically inside the sectors, moved back to financials where it was five or six years ago. And so that's just one of a hundred things that's changing constantly, you know, that you really have to have somebody that's paying attention to this stuff. Otherwise you may not own what you think you own, you know, and, and speaking of diversification, like Randy was saying, if I own large cap fund, a growth fund, an S&P fund, and a tech fund, guess what? I'm not diversified because all those funds hold the same top five positions heavily, right? And so the average person doesn't know this. And so that's why it's important. You know, they're just like, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab each mutual fund that has the highest return over the last 10 years, and I'm just going to buy those because surely those are the best funds. But what you don't realize is that you're actually buying the same positions inside those funds, and you're likely buying something that's going to have a lot of headwind looking forward. We're talking with Randy and Jacob Floyd Financial Group, and we're talking about good bond yields in a diversified portfolio. Randy and Jake, are there any portfolios that can be truly diversified without the use of bonds? The answer to that question is, I believe that the answer is a resounding yes, because uh, while over the last couple of years, uh, you know, bonds have not paid very much. I say the past couple, it's been more than that, but they haven't paid very much in yield and rates, you know, continued to go down just a little bit until they turned the corner and now we're up. But we really didn't own many bonds for the last couple of years. And if we did, we only owned ultra short-term type bonds. And we used them basically as a cash equivalent to maybe earn a little bit of money, but also just as a safety place to, you know, put some money and as a where it would, wouldn't move on as much, you know, and make a little bit of yield while we waited for things to correct. Now, as it turns out, over the last couple of years, things really did not correct, you know, because 2022 was a downhill slide for stocks Mm -hmm. and bonds because Jerome Powell started to raise interest rates, and as interest rates went up, everybody lost money in their bond portfolios unless you were ultra, ultra short. And I'm talking about duration. Uh, You know, bonds come in, in variations from... You can get, I mean, you can get really short-term maturities if you buy off the open market. You can get them a month, two weeks, all the way out to 30 years. So, you know, again, like Jake said, having somebody at the helm watching what's going on here is crucial. But yes, you can absolutely, there's other tools that we have that will bear interest and give us returns outside of bonds, and we can still be diverse. I think one of the things that we always look at too, Jeff, is we're always looking at what is the amount of risk that we're taking versus our potential for reward. Mm -hmm. There's not necessarily anything wrong with taking risk as long as my potential for reward is high enough. The problem is, is looking forward over the next, let's really zoom out, let's say over the next 30 years with bonds. The potential for me to actually really make money in bonds is very low. The chances that I make more than 2 or 3% in a, in a diversified bond portfolio over the next 30 years is very low because in order for that to happen, rates would have to go up from here a little bit and then just sit there. And that's just not going to happen. We're going to go back to zero and then we're going to restart this whole process where we go up. So again, any asset class, bonds, stocks, uh, even real estate, annuities, CDs, uh, structured notes, whatever it may be, what we're looking at is How much risk are we taking versus what's our potential for reward? And right now, there's not very many things that look attractive using that metric. There's a lot of things where I can take lots of risk, but there's very few things that I get an adequate amount of reward 
for the risk that I'm taking. And that's why we have a lot of money in the money market right now. Now that may change over the next little bit, but you know, as I look around and I look at Russia and I look at China and I look at uh, you know, the presidential stuff that's coming up here, I see a lot of potential for problems, but I'm having a hard time seeing how with the economy now kind of starting to go into recession because of the interest rates going up and all that kind of thing, it's hard to see how the market races up to 5,000 S&P 500. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very easy to see how we could kind of languish here and maybe even trend on down. And so with that in mind, you know, we're going to discretion is the better part of valor. You know, we're going to be a little careful. And, and I think people want us to be careful. This is their retirement we're talking about. This isn't, you know, we're not going to the casino here. We're, right. we're going to to solidify retirement and cash flow in retirement. And that's what we're about here. Yeah. And I do want to add one thing here, though, Jeff, mm -hmm. that I think is important. While we like to be very practical and we like to look at this stuff for what it is, not wishful thinking. Right. I will say this, though. We know that every time we've had a financial crisis, we do heal and we get over it. Mm -hmm. So long term, we're still going to be okay. We've just got to navigate this cycle. Yeah, I think what we're really looking for is the next buying opportunity. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not about exiting. It's about buying something cheaper. You know, if I like, you know, Walmart stock or, or whatever the stock is at $150, I would rather buy it at $120 or $100, right? All I'm really trying to do is find a better buying opportunity and do more with less money. And that's that's really the goal. It's not that we're doom and gloom. It's just that if we can sidestep a few landmines, we have that many more dogs in the fight when it comes time to make money again. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about good bond yields for a diversified portfolio. Quite obvious from this conversation that Randy and Jake have really done a lot of research in this. They really know what they're talking about. And if you would like to sit down with Randy and Jake and talk about your portfolio, whether it's diversified or not, whether bonds is a good choice for you and take a look at the bonds that you have, you can get in and talk to them about that and more with your no cost, no obligation, no judgment financial review. Once again, to get yours, call 417. 889-7233 to talk to Randy and Jake right here in Springfield. It's 417-889-7233. You can also request it online by going out to the website at floydfinancialgroup.com. Thank you so much for joining us here this fine Saturday morning. We'll take a quick break. Be right back to wrap up our show right here on 104.1 FM KSGF where Springfield comes to talk. Nowadays, 401ks are a part of life. Chances are you or your spouse have a current one or even an old one that's tied to some long-forgotten job. I'm Randy Floyd of the Floyd Financial Group here to ask you an important question about your 401k. Do you know your options, your fees, and if you're maxing out the benefits? If you want to know more about your 401k inside and out, call 877-889-PLAN for a complimentary review. That's 877-889-7526 or visit us online at floydfinancialgroup.com. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about long-term care. And that is something that a lot of people are going to face. And before we talk about that, I want to remind people that out there on the website at floydfinancialgroup.com, we've got some great resources, including a guide to long-term care. As I said, there are some other ones out there. Randy, what are some of the other guides that people can take a look at at floydfinancialgroup.com? 
Yeah, we basically have guides that talk about when to take Social Security and what the different benefits are for spouses. And if you've had a deceased spouse and maybe a widower's pension, that sort of thing is what's in there. We also have the five steps to a successful retirement plan, 401ks. We talk about those out there. I mean, there's just there's a number of guides, too many to actually count right here. I would mm-hmm. say there's seven, eight, nine different guides out there that have, you know, really to do with everything from long-term care and all the different stages and phases of retirement. So once again, that's Floyd Financial Group. There's a wealth of information there. I encourage you to get out there and take a look at that and consume it when you can. All right. In this segment, we're talking about long-term care insurance. And before we go into the quandary, keep paying it or let it go, let's talk about some of the various ways that you could pay for long-term care. Sure. So, yeah, long-term care insurance is one way. So, Jeff, looking back over our shoulder here, in 2006, November of that year, Mm -hmm. was the first time... I had a lady come in to sit down to see me, and she said, Randy, she said, my husband has vascular dementia. He is, I can't remember exactly how old he was. He was a fairly young guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was. He had the potential to live many years, and she said, that's what scares me is the fact that I'm spending, and at that time, long-term care, now you're talking about, how long has that been, 16 years ago? Yeah. It was around $3,500 a month. Today, right wow. here in the last bastion of sanity, it's about $6,500 oh my to $7,000 a month is what long-term care costs now. And let's face it, Jeff, most people are just not plumbed no. financially to handle that. They just aren't. It's a big just number. way too much money. And so, anyway, so she said, I think I'm afraid we're going to lose our house and everything and, and our savings. And so, there was a guy by the name of uh, Bill Hammond, a guy out of Kansas City, that was nice enough to really guide and direct me. He's an attorney, an elder law attorney, and he started to guide and direct me. And now we have an attorney in-house here that does all this type of planning and things. But I just wanted to point out to people that since 2006, we've been helping people to navigate long-term care and how not to lose the family farm, the house, and all the money that mom and dad have worked so hard for, and maybe leave mom or dad poverty-stricken if one does end up in a nursing home. So in about 2007, we started doing a workshop that we did for, oh my goodness, at least 12 or 13 years Mm -hmm. called Four Ways to Pay. Mm -hmm. And so you talked about, you know, long-term care insurance is one of those. So what ends up happening when people encounter a long-term care stay like this, and a lot of people think, well, Social Security, you know, I mean, not Social Security, but Medicare is going to take care of that for me, right? Well, Medicare has limited resources for long-term care. You might get up to 100 days of assistance if everything falls just right. But after that, you're on your own and you know you have to pay the bill so the number one way that unfortunately people end up paying for long-term care many times is they come to us after they've spent a hundred two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars of their own money just writing the check each month Mm -hmm. we really don't recommend paying out of the hip pocket for long-term care it is something that people can do but there are ways to mitigate that damage secondly if you don't want to pay out of your hip pocket you can buy long-term care insurance Mm -hmm. Now, there's some problems with long-term care insurance that basically what happened was when they started writing these policies many years ago, the insurance companies weren't sure how sticky those policies would be and how long people would keep them, and they built in inflation fighters and things in there. And so what happened with long-term care insurance, the traditional type is people got priced out of the market. They would start off at a premium they could afford, and it just got priced higher and higher and higher and higher until one day people go, Uncle and they drop it, and they don't have it about the time they need it. 
So there's alternatives to that that we can talk about if people want to come in and see us. Don't have time to go into all that today, but there's alternatives to that where they where things don't change. We can set up a plan that'll stay the same and be there for you. The other thing is, Jeff, uh, you know, if you have car insurance and you pay for it for 25 years, kind of like long-term care insurance, right. and you pay for it for 25 years, and you never use it, <laughs> how much car insurance money do you get back? Uh, I believe it's zero. I think you're right. <laughs> so it's kind of the same way with long-term care insurance. Yeah. I don't like to pay for something that I may not ever get a return on. So there's right. ways also to set up long-term care where we know for a fact that we're going to end up having that money to pass to our beneficiaries if we don't, in fact, use it for long-term care. A lot of people say, what if I just started saving money? What if I, what if I started just saving, you know, $500 a month to pay for my long-term care? Because again, you know, most people can't save seven thousand a month, right? Right. <laughs> They'd have right. to go ahead and they save. They have to make seven thousand. Well, month. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if yeah. they if they if they only save five hundred dollars a month, six thousand a year. Right. Twenty years is one hundred and twenty thousand dollars plus a little growth. I mean, you can spend that short term. I mean, not long at all. Talking about how to pay for long-term care with Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group. So we've talked about long-term care insurance. We've talked about out of the hip pocket. But as you said, Randy, that's about $6,500 a month these days. And, you know, you've got some options with long-term care insurance. I guess you could drop it. But is there another option where maybe you just get reduced benefits? Yeah, I mean, most of the policies today, because there was so many people over the years that dropped their insurance coverage and felt like they just got nailed to the wall, most companies have what's called, and most states even enforce, what's called a non-forfeiture clause inside there that basically says, hey, if you do need long-term care, if you get to where you cannot perform two activities of daily living, we will go ahead and pay you at your daily rate what you've paid in. So let's say you paid for it for, you know, 10 years and you paid $30,000, they will give that back to you as a benefit so you don't lose all of that. But again, if you don't ever use it, you're not going to get that money back. Okay, so there's long-term care insurance, as you said, out of the hip pocket, just stroke the check, $6,500 a month. Most people not plumbed to do that. What are some of the other ways that we can pay for long-term care if LTC is out and just making the check is out? Sure thing. There's also the Veterans Administration that basically for people that have served during a period of war, and that's that's a little bit of a can of worms. I won't get totally into what those periods of war and things are, but uh, there's an asset uh, limitation for the Veterans Administration unless you go to one of the VA homes. Mm-hmm. So if you've served on active duty and have at least a general discharge, the Veterans Homes may be available to you. But there's also a benefit called aid and attendance, and for a married veteran, that can be up to about $2,200 a month of reimbursement if you have activities of daily living where you need aid and attendance. Also, there's uh, there's some guidelines that we have to follow as far as assets and things uh, that you can have. But uh, that is another benefit that's out there for you. So aid and attendance, also the veterans' homes, and also for the spouse of a veteran, uh, if they qualify for aid and attendance, their spouse can also qualify for up to around $1,300, $1,400 a month of reimbursement when you get to where you need care. And then finally, the last one is Medicaid. And right. nobody generally likes to talk about Medicaid. Right. But I want to kind of erase that stigma, if, if that's okay, Jeff. Sure. So what it amounts to is, you know, when you went to work, you paid into Social Security, you paid into Medicare, and you paid into Medicaid. So Medicare is health insurance that we get at age 65 unless we're disabled prior to that time. Well, 
Medicaid is an extension of that, and it is designed to do several things. Initially, the big thing it was designed to do was to help people later in life if they fell upon chronic illness, something we're not going to get over, which is typically what ends us up right. in a nursing home. Right. Today, unfortunately, uh, I mean, the last time I looked, and it's been a couple of years, the Medicaid budget for the state of Missouri is about $10 billion, with a B dollars a year. And mainly it's going to birth children and things today is what it's doing. Mm -hmm. So for those people that are 65, 70, 75, that have funded a system since the beginning uh, that was designed to help you take care of this thing, I don't feel bad about helping those people tap into Medicaid at all. And the right. reason that I brought all that up is sometimes people say, well, Medicaid, isn't that just for broke folks? And the answer to that question is no, because you can actually have quite a lot of assets and still qualify for Medicaid. And one of the things that we do, we have a whole division of our company called Elder Care Advisors, that that's what they specialize in. And we do cases every month, every week, it just depends. We are working with that and we've been doing it since 2006 when we got our first case. So we know the ins and outs of Medicaid and how to make it work. And let me just say this to kind of give people a little comfort. If you are a typical couple, husband and wife, you've got a home and some savings, we can generally save 100% of all the money mm -hmm. for the first person to go to the nursing home. Okay. You may have to give up the income, the right. social security that comes in that person's name. But maybe you got a $2,000 a month Social Security check, and if the bill is $6,500 or $7,000, you're still saving $4,500 to $5,000 a month. You know, that's a lot of money to be saved, and it can keep people out of the poorhouse. If you have family farms, rental properties, and things like that, we can still help you to qualify for that, but we need to take a much different approach. Mm -hmm. And we do that through what's called asset protection planning. And again, we use all the rules for the VA, for Medicaid, exactly as they're written. We are not hiding anything. We're not doing anything underhanded. All we do is position assets according to the law for people to qualify for that to help them pay for long-term care and not end up having to sell family farms, century farms, uh, and just put people in the poorhouse in general. Now, I know, Jeff, I said a mouthful there. All I would say <laughs> is this. If you have someone that you think may be headed for a long-term care facility. Maybe they have Parkinson's, maybe they have Alzheimer's, maybe they have Lewy body dementia. There are all the different things that are coming down the pike these days, MS, whatever it may be. If you want to talk about this, you should just give us a call. We'll sit down with you. We'll go over a plan of how that might help you. And again, there's no cost, no obligation, but right, I will right. just tell you, we can always make it better than doing nothing. And that number to call if you've got questions about long-term care insurance is 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. I also invite you to go out to the website floydfinancialgroup.com. You can request an appointment there to talk about your long-term care situation. Out of time for this week, gentlemen. I want to thank you for your time here on Show Me the Money. But most of all, I want to thank our fine listeners here in the last bastion of Sanity Springfield, Missouri for joining us. For Andy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out. Have a great spring weekend. We'll talk again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.